Hey guys, welcome to the podcast, The Theory Behind It. We've done some rebranding recently. We are very excited about it. Um, today we are going to do what we've done before, um, a couple months ago now, which was talking about articles, specifically Kyle Adams' harmonic, syntactic, and motivic parameters of phrase and hip-hop. I thought it was a really interesting article. We all had had our eye on it for a little bit, and we decided that this would be a good one to talk about. But there's lots of interesting articles from the uh, 26.2 volume on Music Theory Online. So if you're interested... Oh, man, I hadn't even looked at any of the other ones yet. Yeah, so that they included, like, uh, Philip Ewell's Music Theory in the White ra- Racial Frame. it's Ewell, is it not? I think it's Ewell. It, I don't, Adam, I have only read this name. (laughs) Um, But if it is Yule, then I should pronounce it correctly, and I am happy to say Yule. Uh, But that was the explosive talk that happened over the summer and resulted in a lot of uh, things and discord happening. Now, that's the the key point that he gave at SMT 2019. Okay, this wasn't the specific topic. That now he's adapted it into a paper, or now it's been published as a paper, I suppose. Right. but it, Yeah, but that ties into the whole Schenker journal business that, that went on over the summer. Right. So that um, that's a main thing. But then there's lots of um, good things that I think that the Society for Music Theory has done recently. And they've had some of these things going on all along, but they have specific interest groups towards like the LGBT, tbq community plus i forgot the plus like that community and supporting music theorists really trying to get all those letters in the right order huh i mean i i try to be good but like that interest group interest group for specifically women theorists and other things like that and oh interest groups are you trying to make this a segue for me (laughs) i mean eventually yes but (laughs) but basically (laughs) I'm just trying to say that there's a lot of good things going on at the Journal for the Society of Music Theory. So if you haven't checked out the online, there are free articles. Uh, Go check them out. And if you're a part of the community, then great. But with all that being said, Adam, he shared big news with us. Ooh, I forget. A couple recordings ago. ago. Um, If you guys know, as listeners, feel free to comment on the episode, whether it's in the Reddit or the Discord or somewhere, and let us know what the correct episode is. But one of them, Adam shared that he was going to be presenting at the SMT, and so now has come the fateful week. This week I finalized my presentation, and I got that all ready and everything sent off. You changed a lot of things about it. I did. It's, it was, well, it was stressful for a number of reasons. First off is that I'm like a chronic procrastinator, um, and I absolutely let this one just completely uh, sneak up on me. I think the other thing, the other problem that I have personally is that like deadlines freak me out to the point where I try to forget what they are. (laughs) And I had to go look at the, I was pretty sure the deadline was October 15th. But I had to go look back at the email on like October 12th and be like, okay, cool, I got three days. Uh, so that was stressful just like getting it together. It's also kind of stressful because it just felt like for my SMT presentation, the, the full background is I'm, I'm going to be presenting um, a paper adapted for my thesis at the Russian Music Special Interest Group at, at SMT 2020, uh, the online version. Woo! We're e-theorists now. 
it just it feels I'm a little intimidated by it because it feels like I'm preparing a worse version of my thesis to be publicly judged. I had to cut down so much stuff and simplify it so much, and I did it in such a rush. I'm just worried of like, you know, I I wish everybody there could read the thesis and that they'd all believe in me and have no criticisms of my findings. You see, all of the papers that I've heard that are hey, this is really a thesis or this is like part of my dissertation have all been well received and there's been an understanding of, oh, you could prove this point if it's, you know, somebody had like a little question about it. It's like, yeah, you could prove that in a longer paper and not necessarily right. hounding it anybody. Because I, I had to cut it down to like my, I had three analyses in my thesis and I so I had to cut it down to like my strongest one. But they all kind of work together so strongly that I think that, like, dropping any of them makes for a worse argument. I mean, I guess. At least yours wasn't like, hey, there are four archetypes, and you just never give one of them. I mean, I th- maybe maybe it's, that's not quite what I mean. I think the problem is mostly, like, the first analysis is very much like an example one where I introduce all the concepts and say, like, this is how this is going to work, and the next two are the ones that I really care about. And I think what happened was when I cut it down to just the middle one, I probably accidentally lost something of the explanation and just had to, you know, compress and shorten so much of it. Uh, from like that first example that introduced all the ideas that then I had to go back and I, I was rewriting a bunch of stuff to try to figure out like, oh, I, if I cut out the first part, I haven't said this yet. And like, I need to establish this or whatever. Um, maybe that's more what I'm worried about than just like I lost two of the other examples. I think it's more like a organizational pacing thing. Yeah, I get that. I still think it'll be fine. No, I'm, I'm really excited about it, which I was not saying a week ago. Um, so that's good. Yeah, but you've already like submitted now. <laughs> You're past. Right, yeah, now now it's done, and, and I'm excited to talk about it. And I remember all the things that I wrote about, so that's helpful. Yeah, so I don't know exactly what the rules are. I meant to ask Dr. Rust about what the rules are for like sharing stuff that you pr- like presented at a conference, but I don't know. Maybe I'll post the, the video presentation I made to like, my YouTube channel or something like that. I don't know. Whatever I'm allowed to do with it, I'll probably try to get it out there. So maybe you guys can see it at some point. I mean, I gave my like exact presentation as a lecture, and he never said a word. Oh yeah, at when the yeah. that lady performed it. Yeah, it was the exact same presentation. It was just kind of uh, toned down a little bit, but I mean, huh. he didn't make any mention of it being a matter of like not self plagiarism. Yeah, well, like. I don't think there's any restrictions on just because you present it, you can't put it out there. Okay. Well, I don't think. He didn't mention it to me. I will, at least I'll wait until after after the conference, and then I'll probably post yeah. the video on YouTube or something. Well, or, like, have you guys seen the, like, SMT video thing? I think it's, like, SMTV series that... Uh, I haven't heard about this. So that my thought would be, if everybody submits recordings anyways, they may, like, tie it in and keep it up. Because the Francis Clark Center, which is, um, they used to be the Clavier Companion, I be- believe, was their, like, journal magazine that they published. And now, they're something else. It's a funny name. The Clavier Companion. Yeah. Um, I mean, I get it, but it's just funny. It tickles me. I mean, yeah, it's geared towards you. (laughs) (laughs) Fair point. 
But Sarah and I have, so Sarah works with uh, the Francis Clark Center in advertising, but then there's also, we've watched concerts and other things that they do, and a lot of stuff that they've done, they've then kept online in some format so that people could go watch, like, concerts after the fact. I'm sure SMT will try on some level to do that in that way. People can still get to content instead of just... All right, you did it once and it's gone forever. Yeah, that's true. I they said that I so the way that SMT this year is going to work is that they are posting all these uh, everybody all the presenters had to make like video like direct address to camera videos of the presentation and try to include like a full PDF of the script or like closed captioning on the video or something like that. There was there was like a range of resources you could turn in for it. One like just pick one or more. Uh, so I just did a presentation and then a PDF of the script and then a PDF with all my graphs and charts and examples. But they said they're going to put those on Vimeo. Th- uh-huh. My only yeah. question there is I don't know if you're going to need like a link to access it or whatever because I did have to pay a lot of money to attend this conference I'm not attending. <laughs> yeah, that'd be my only thought is that if they put it out for free just because it's online, like they don't typically put out all of the papers for free yeah exactly but so i feel like it's probably going to be on vimeo but like all the entrants are going to probably get like a link or a password or something to get into all of this stuff yeah so the so that's that's where i feel like posting it to my own youtube channel or whatever after the conference would be the best choice yeah i get that no uh francis clark center has used the vimeo stuff for theirs there's just there's a little more control as far as you can have a blank screen when somebody's not presenting or you're not showing the video. And so that the way their concerts have worked is the artist pre-records everything and then the artist will, and the president of the Francis Clark Center, Jennifer Snow, will come on and discuss about the piece or kind of be able to chat with each other on some level. And so you can see them interacting Kind of like it's a Zoom call, but then it goes to a blank screen, and then they can just share the video. And so I think this specific service is more geared towards that academic style of presenting instead of a Zoom call where everybody can see everyone all the time. Mm -hmm. And Vimeo is also kind of like pride at itself as like the artsier YouTube it's very much like for creators and stuff. A lot of movie, like you know, amateur or independent filmmakers will put their stuff on Vimeo rather than on YouTube. I think like the streaming quality is higher and sort of like the freedom that they have with it is better. So Yeah, which um, not to necessarily drag us too off topic, but I do think it's worth bringing up. It's the mic quality or the audio quality I think is really funny to me because it ranges from like some people were able to record videos at on campus and could use like nicer mics from the campus because they had help or whatever and then they'll be at home and hopefully not just talking over their computer mic but sometimes it feels like it it's like oh that's a lot to take in especially when Sarah and I watch it uh we have like a sound bar and a little surround sound system so that everything's a little bit clearer. But then the other thing that started to get to me was they the mics for the pianos are always on the right side of the piano. 
you never get that like base end as much as I want and like can really come through on my home sound system. And so it's like, eh, I mean, this is nice. The piano playing has been really good, but I just wish the, I guess, sound or audio quality was a little bit better. Uh, I was excited to use my fancy microphone that I use for podcasting to record my presentation with. Um, one of the problems is that since it is like kind of hanging on a stand, it pretty much covers my face if I were to try to film like that. <laughs> and then secondly, because they specifically, they were very clear that they wanted a video presentation of you talking to the camera. Um, <laughs> the only camera I have is my iPhone and my like laptop webcam and that's worse than my iPhone. So I couldn't record it with my microphone because my microphone doesn't hook up to my iPhone. And so I just ended up like setting up a stack of books and leaning my phone on it and then talking into that with my AirPods. Now, uh, it, it turned out fine. The, the qualities, I was certainly not embarrassed of it and I submitted it. So it, it's not that bad. Now, I, my point is I was just bummed. I wanted to use my fancy microphone. Yeah. So here's, my question would be, it would be more work. And I understand that there was procrastinating going on. And so adding more work doesn't sound like the right idea. But couldn't you have turned on your, just turned on Audacity, set up the microphone, hit record on everything, and then just lined it up and post? Uh, yeah, I didn't want to do that. <laughs> you nailed it. You got it. Okay. You figured me out. I just, I don't know. I felt like there the were The other thing was that it. I thought that... I, I wanted to get all the, the graphics into the video. I thought if it was just going to be like a video presentation, then I needed to get all of my graphics on the screen. And I was like trying to like hustle to get this video made because I knew that like, I mean, I edit audio a lot because of the podcast. I don't ever or have ever edited video basically. So I was like trying to hustle to get all this finished because I knew that editing the video and putting all the graphics in it was going to take forever. And so I was super stressed out about it uh, because of the, all the procrastination and all that until I realized like when I read back over the list of options that they gave you for resources and materials to submit, it was like, oh, I don't have to do that. All the fancy people are going to do that. And I'm just going to send everybody a PDF with all my examples. Cool. You should have just drawn your example on an index card and just held it up to the camera. <laughs> I mean, that's what I do. That's what I do when I make video lessons at, at Groove House is like one of my students had asked me about the circle of fifths and then she had to miss a lesson or whatever. And so I was like, cool, I'll make a little 10 minute video where I talk about the circle of fifths and I'll be here, you know, video lesson for the week. And I just hastily scrawled out a circle of fifths on a <laughs> blank sheet of paper and just held it up to the camera and pointed at it. So Speaking of, because I assume you had like you had to make a little video lesson or something so that it counted as her lesson. Yes, exactly. Um, would you guys care that much, or would it just be like, no, I'll just see you in a week and we'll do whatever then? Uh, the percentage of my students that actually watch them is so low that yeah, I'd be fine saying yeah next time. But to give everybody their money's worth, we always make a video. Yeah, I guess I don't. Unless they're like a complete no-show. They have to request the video. <laughs> now that seems even sillier. <laughs> like I would, I guess I would rather have it just be company policy that it's like, okay, yeah, send them a video because, you know, they didn't make it to their lesson and we want to make them feel included. But, man, 
if somebody requested a video from me. <laughs> I, well, I mean, for example, on Monday, I had three lessons lined up. One of them just ceased to exist, never showed up. And the other two called in ahead of time and said that they weren't going to be there. So for the two that called in ahead of time, I had to make a video. But for the one who just didn't show up at all, nah, he got nothing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't like making the video. It's so frustrating making, like, a video lesson. Because just, I mean, because of where most of my students are at, like, I just really need to be working with them. Mm-hmm. There's very little that I can, like, talk to them about for 10 minutes from a different room. Yeah. Well, like I told you, I, I've talked on the podcast before. I had that student who was, like, didn't know anything brand new, was trying to compose music in logic without knowing anything about reading music or theory or anything like that. And he missed a couple weeks in a row. I think he missed, like, two weeks in a row. The boss told me to make a, asked me to make a video for him. And I was like, I can't. He doesn't know anything. Like, that's not a, I'm not <laughs> trying to, like, dunk on him. But there's nothing that I can talk about in a video that he's going to understand yet because he doesn't know anything. Like, we're still working on the basics. So in that case, she actually just gave him, like, she, like, just refunded the lessons. Um, and I didn't have to make a video, which was great. It's all weird. All right. So, it Livy, is. in this 20 minutes, you haven't done a lot of talking. Anything new or special going on with you? <laughs> Uh, no, not really, to be honest. Just hanging out in Texas. Nothing really. I just am going to work. That's about it. Texas, the swing state. Yeah. Is it? (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this year could be an outlier, but I don't think that's usually true. Say this is actually, I guess, new. It's kind of so new I forgot, but... Well, everywhere else in the country, probably unadvisedly, but everywhere else is kind of loosening up on COVID stuff. El Paso has gone back down into a lockdown because we have so many new cases. Oh, oh fun. now that is fun. <laughs> so are you getting to work you from... You know what? That's actually heartwarming to hear that somebody's taking it seriously. <laughs> well, I think it was the tech... I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure as a city, no one was doing anything. And then the Texas governor was like, okay, you guys have got to get a handle on this. So the whole state has loosened its restrictions, but he was like, El Paso, nah. Get it Y'all together. are going back to 50% capacity, like, no one's out after 9 p.m., that kind of stuff. Now, see, the curfew is funny, because it's like the virus has a bedtime. I know, I never understood that. I, mean, I know that here the deterrent was people going out to bars and clubs, because that is... Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what it is here as well, yeah. but they've loosened up on that as well. Yeah. yeah, they loosened up on it here, and then we've just... Uh, <laughs> I haven't, I haven't checked the numbers good. in a while, but Mississippi is not doing so hot, and nobody's doing anything about it. Yeah, numbers are not. I mean, here they aren't looking good anywhere, but Louisiana's the worst place in Texas, I think, in terms of the percentage. I just, I think my fear is that every week that we go without like a ton of new cases, and we move from one phase to the next. That there is a group of people that, for some reason, don't believe that it's, like, real. Like, gr- their faith grows stronger in that belief. And I get more <laughs> and more confused by it. And, like, I think some of those people have had the virus. And they still don't think it's, like, really anything. It's like... <laughs> yeah. Okay, guys. So. But, with all that being said, let's get back to Kyle Adams. Good banter. Good banter, everybody. <laughs> Um, if you enjoyed that segment, that was per Adam. So round of applause for Adam, wherever you are. 
But we're talking about a different Adams and the harmonics and tech. Fun fact, I'm named Adam because my grandparents are Adams. Oh. Interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. I thought it was, you know, because he was the father. You know, why name you after a son when you could name you after the father? Hmm. So that joke was funny to only me because my name is Seth yeah. and I'm the third son of Adam. And so Ah, uh, <laughs> I see. No. Without any no, without any mention of like you being Seth, that joke doesn't work at all. <laughs> and it's just a total non sequitur. I was like, I mean, yeah, I led with it was Adam only is the father funny of everyone. <laughs> okay. But you see, now it's hilarious. So, um, how do you guys want to go through it? Do you kind of want to go through the sections of... I don't necessarily want to read word for word what he was doing. Um, but the Here, I'll, I'll give you... the Here's the SMT rules, all right? Okay, read them to me. Seth, you have two to three minutes to sum up your project. Go. So, the whole goal in this article was to define phrase in a medium where the phrase is hard to define. So he starts off the article with a lot of here's what could constitute a phrase and then looking at... In rap music. Yes, specifically in hip-hop. Before that, though, he was just taking the basic, like, here's what a phrase is. Right, but we just hadn't said that it was about hip-hop music since we started talking about it again. But then uh, he moves more into the here are some special cases you could have in hip-hop music and why it'll be hard to define where the end of the phrase is. And especially um, kind of getting into the problem of elision and other things that we see in more common practice music, where you have the ends of phrases meeting or overlapping, that there's a lot of that going on in hip-hop, but then also are we saying that the beat defines where something ends or are we saying that the artist the um vocals define where the narrative is does a not the narrative goodness um you're you're just slipping into your element aren't (laughs) there's no narrative in this paper there is there's no need for it um but do the vocals determine where the like lack of a traditional cadence that might mark the end of a phrase is or, you know, so that there were several things that he was working on. Here's how we could talk about this. And then later he gets into some other things. Uh, specifically, I thought his use of um, contour and contour analysis was very useful and insightful to the point that I emailed one of our old professors about it, hoping that others could use that information or that idea to go in a different direction. Um, And then, I mean, he has tons and tons of examples. So if you go to, you know, the article, like there are plenty of things to listen to and look at what he's talking about. It is not, which I think is a little bit better than your normal reading an article in a print journal because you don't necessarily get to hear what they're talking about. So. And all his picks are really good. Yeah. (laughs) I was just like, oh, man, I love that song. Oh, I love that song. I love that song. Like, he just has a lot of good picks. He's got a, a, 
a tribe called Quest in there. He's got Run the Jewels. He's got, uh, oh, what's that one? Aesop Rock. Like, just a lot of good stuff in there. Let's see. I was going to add. Yeah, no, I mean, that is the that is the gist of what's going on. So. Oh, I just wanted to say a special shout out to Medieval, which is one of my favorite rap songs ever. And it was just really nice to see somebody writing about it. Yeah. And. Um, oh, and No Name's in there, too. So mm-hmm. kind of one for everybody. <laughs> and we um, didn't talk about it, but Kyle Adams does, um, I forget what his actual position is, but he does work at the University of Indiana. Let me see if I can. And he's written a ton of stuff about rap. Yep. I also want to say like 16th century music. I feel like that was his other area, but I, I can't remember right now. I hope I'm not making that up. Yeah, it doesn't have what his exact title is listed. I'm looking. Oh, I'm sure it'll pop up somewhere else, but... Uh, he's associate professor of music, and he's a chair of the Department of Music Theory. There you go. Um, so, Livy, would you like to kick us off about... I mean, I kind of alluded to some things that I was interested in, but I guess generally or specifically, what are some things that you really liked about this article? Uh, yeah, sorry, just one more thing. He he's also worked, um, uh, yeah, 16th century music and hip-hop music are his two areas of expertise. That's such a crazy I know. It's I remember like that because I applied purposefully. to go to Indiana because I wanted to study with him, but that didn't turn it's out. It's like he was sitting down and he was like, what can I do to make myself the most niche and marketable music theorist? <laughs> How can I publish these articles? <laughs> it makes a lot more sense why he would analyze the song Medieval, though. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was like a Seth... Re- that was like a response that Seth usually gets to his jokes. <laughs> <laughs> to answer Seth's question, um, I mean, I didn't like... I don't know. I just kind of thought the whole article as a whole was really interesting. I like I like these kinds of articles where it's not necessarily presenting an entirely new concept. Um, it's like he's taking a bunch of stuff other people have said and we're saying like, okay, so along these lines, how can we apply it to new repertoire, which is really neat. Um, I guess the one detail, if I were to pick one out that I thought was that I just kept kind of thinking about was, uh, it's a really small detail, but I just thought it was interesting that in this whole article where the goal is to define uh, parameters for phrase that um, he says, let's see, in the rhyme scheme and syntax section, he identifies like the normal parameters of like, um hip-hop being in quadruple meter and that it's usually delivered in rhyme couplets and that's like super super common and instead of saying like that's where we're gonna base our phrases he was like that's so common i'm not gonna even count it as a phrase like it has to be different for me to consider it a phrase which to me i was like that's kind of wild like you're saying the most normal baseline thing is too normal to go into defining a phrase well, he had that example of the, the Curtis Blow basketball song where, like, mm-hmm. the rhyme scheme feels like it's two couplets, but really when you break it down, like, the way that, like, syntactically the ideas are presented, mm-hmm. it's like one line and one line and two lines. So it's like one, one, two instead of two and two. 
and so they're like the rhyme scheme is like a little bit deceptive of what maybe the phrase structure actually is yeah and he does elaborate on that about how the rhyme he like has a few examples about where it hits on different beats than you would expect um and in I that guess, example oh go ahead I guess like I kind of misstated what he says. It's less that he's saying it doesn't count as a phrase, but he's just saying like it's so default that I'm only going to look at things that differ because I guess those are better examples of specific parameters, things that are like stand out, whereas a quadruple couplet, we would expect it. So it's not going to stand out to your ear. But I just thought mm -hmm. that was so interesting the way he was like, let's get this out of the way. And then let's not talk about it again. Yeah, he says that like phrases in rap music is so uncommon that they make up a marked event when they yeah. appear. Yeah. Which differs from like most other kinds of music where the phrase is sort of like the organizational structure, whether the phrase is operating like functionally or just as like a, a, a tool of division mm -hmm. of separating different ideas out. Um, like that's how all music, mo not all, that's how <laughs> especially Western art music works is like phrases move things along. And he's saying that rap music has phrases so infrequently that they become marked events when they do occur, mm -hmm. which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, yeah. That one on some level, what, like I got what he was saying, but that was what to me felt a little odd. It was like, am I... And I think sometimes when people say that something's a marked event, that in general, marked and unmarked just means rare and common. And so the idea that when someone's like, there's this marked event that's going to be surprising and so unusual that it draws your attention, hence it being marked. Sometimes it's like, you know, if I listen to the piece like 50 times, I think I would agree with you, but... Like, on the first couple of listens, I don't know that it really is always as striking as sometimes marked implies. How do you guys feel about that? I get where you're coming from. I think I've used marked in a way that Kyle Adams kind of is here, so I can't, like, <laughs> disagree with his usage. I just, I do see where you're coming from. Yeah, I was also thinking, well, I, I use the terms marked and unmarked in a piece that was seven measures long. So, <laughs> yeah. I don't really, if I have a leg to stand on here. <laughs> I mean, I'm not necessarily saying that it's wrong or anything. It was more of just like, sometimes, you know, when you get deep into the analysis of something, you feel really good about it. And then I feel like when you take a step back, it's like, wow, I've got a lot of details about this thing that's a minute and a half I'm long. I'm supposed to feel good about my analyses? Well, hopefully. I mean, you're presenting at SMT. Oh, okay. No, but I I think that's really cool. Um, Adam, what about you? Anything specific that jumped out to you? Uh, I thought it was funny how kind of at every step he like couched it a lot. Where he was like, well, all right, so we're going to talk about phrases in rap music. So you might think, hey, is this you know made up of the rhyme structure? Well, not really. All right, is it made up of like the beat, like the, the track underneath the lyrics? Well, not really. <laughs> is it made up of like uh I, I don't remember what one of the other examples was but he was just kind of like it's not really any of these things 
else. Like, you can't narrow it down to just one. So, uh, just for the listeners, some other things, we talked about the rhythm and syntax, but then there's, like, or the rhyme scheme. There's length that he goes to. There's number of harmonies. I thought there was one more. There's, uh, he calls it... The directionality is the one that I liked a lot. Which is whether or not the track, it's like the beat, the track itself feels like it's going anywhere and has a destination to arrive at. And he, he was very clear that it, you have to anticipate that something is going to resolve and the resolution actually has to come for it to be like a phrase. Right. And this, you know, really Adam just likes directionality the best because that's where No Name's uh, self was used as an example. And that other one I like, wasn't Medieval in there as well? <laughs> If it is, then it, yeah, that yeah. is where medieval. Uh, <laughs> yeah, medieval's example nine A and and no name is example nine B. Yeah, this is the best <laughs> section of the paper. <laughs> Just for the examples, right? Um, yeah, I like directionality too. I don't know. It felt like maybe it was too. I guess. Okay, so Adam, I think I'm in contrast to what you're saying where you wanted him to be a little more ultimatum-y on like this is what this is going to be and i was kind of I, I didn't i didn't make any demands i just said i thought it was funny oh okay well i was i was okay with that because i don't know it made sense to me it was just like yeah okay this shouldn't be the no, only no, no, I, I was with them all the way yeah. i didn't disagree with any of it I was with him all the way. I just thought it was funny how, like, at every point we were like, oh, this is going to do it. This is the silver bullet for finding phrases. And, it, like, you know, four out of four different sort of steps, he was like, but not really. <laughs> yeah. So Not not entirely. It's always an exception. Yeah. So that I think that if someone was doing a thesis or a paper or something, this would be a good pl- – like, if you were getting started on – what might define a phrase, whether it's you're looking at a contemporary piece or something. I mean, it's probably going to be contemporary if you need to go here for defining phrases, ideas. But I think there's lots of examples that you could use and kind of manipulate to how you want as far as like a good starting point. What do you guys think about that? Say that again. So if if you were writing a thesis or a paper, an article, something, and you were looking for, for whatever reason, whatever you're analyzing, you want to talk about phrases and how you might be able to look at this in a different light, did, would you think that this would be a good place to go to kind of have some different ideas about how you might um, dissect a phrase? Olivia, did you have a, you have a thought? Um, it could be. It depends on what you're doing. I think this is a good... I guess I kind of think back to what I was saying earlier, which is that this article is kind of like a good model of how you can apply a sort of a concept that we view as fairly straightforward or have like accepted standards for and how you can kind of mold it to fit a different repertoire. I think this is in general, it's just like a good model for that. So even if it doesn't specifically help with whatever your goal was, uh, I think it shows how it can be done really well. Yeah, I think all of his examples are so specific to the intricacies of rap music that I don't know if I couldn't really apply any of this stuff about phrases to anything besides rap music. Like, he's he's narrowed it down so specifically that I think it kind of has to live here. But Livy is right that, like, 
trying to look at it as a model of how do you adapt sort of things like you know ideas like this to music outside of a canon uh sort of sort of is a good example of that yeah uh even at the end he says that maybe we should just come up with a new name for this altogether not even call it a phrase but phrase is so like deep down backbone of kind of how we describe music that it's going to be really hard even if you did come up with a better uh, name for this sort of effect uh it's gonna be really hard to try to break it away from phrase even if the way that they function and are represented is completely different right um well yeah i guess i'm with you too on that that if you were look if you wanted a model of how do i take um one of those you know more archaic ideas or fundamental ideas and apply it to something more contemporary that this is a good model for how you would break everything down and be specific about here's what i want to talk about i really like the um and i mentioned this earlier the contour approach so that um contour analysis for those that may not have heard of it what you're judging is how high the line goes. And so that when you look at the analysis, basically the numbers, which can range from anything, but usually you have like three or four hills. And so that the numbers will be zero, one, two, three, if you had four. Zero being the lowest point, one being the next point, three, or two and three being like the next highest so that whatever n- order those numbers are in it's supposed to give you a good representation of here's where the line like got the highest and so i thought it was interesting when he was talking about sometimes uh the flow is pitched but it's not necessarily specific pitch like uh adam what was the it was just the classical music and rap episode that we talked about three years ago at this point where we were Mm -hmm. talking about, you know, rappers will match their flow sometimes to specific things. I think the, the example that I remember was the bus driver, um, uh, Rondo Alaturka. Yeah. Uh, that song is called me time. Yep. So that he's specifically like matching the pitch. Is that that one? Yeah. Where he raps in time with uh, Rondo Alaturka? Yeah, but... Oh, I was looking for the name of the song. Oh, it's called Me Time. See, I thought it was like Imaginary Places or something. Uh, Imaginary Places... He also does that with uh, with another... Like a Bach Partita or yeah. something. I forget which piece okay. it is exactly. It's a famous one. Yeah, so the, that's the one that I was thinking of. But it's cool to be reminded that there is another example of it. But, yeah, he does it twice. That's why I think we played both of those, because they're cool. But um, one of the songs that I really liked growing up was um, Where is the Love by the Black Eyed Peas. And so I wanted to take that song when I was younger and be able to write it out, because I liked the bass line. I liked a whole lot of things about it, but I wanted to write it out for a tuba trio. And the problem was... They would give you the bass line and the chords so that I could do bass line and harmony, but then the vocals were just rhythm. And I was like, but when I listen to them, I'm not really just hearing them on a stagnant pitch. There's something happening, but it's hard to specify what's happening. And so what 
Adams is able to do contour um, analysis is kind of give you an idea of the flow would look like this. And so we were also talking recently on an episode about what would be the best way if you took like a graphic designer and that had them make a representation of what sound looks like that contour analysis is supposed to kind of help you get there of you can kind of see the hills and the valleys of where the music goes all of that's to say that i liked how the contour analysis was used because anytime that i've heard about it or tried to do it before was like in common practice music and it, i just thought you know I can see what's happening when I look at the music example. Why would I need this? Uh, I want to say two things about contour. Yeah. Well, one one about contour and one about pitch. Uh, this talk about contour just makes me like flashback to when Doctor Rust asked me to do a contour analysis of one of my pieces back <laughs> when we didn't really know like what the angle on it was and we needed to try to like break it open. We thought he thought that contour might help. And let me tell you, doing contour for like a twelve tone piece, the specific one that I had was. Oh, boy. Because, <laughs> like, my contour row is, like, ten notes long. So I had, like, zero <laughs> through nine. It was completely uh, it was completely useless. I mean, I'm not saying that to dunk on him. I just mean, like, it was so unwieldy that, like, even if it had told me anything, there was nothing I could do with it. Um, <laughs> I remember I figured out, because the way that this piece worked was, like, kind of each measure was its own unit. So I was figuring out measure by measure. But... I didn't know how to do the whole measure all at once, so I was just doing, like, the top voice and the bottom voice, and even that was like, this is out of control. This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> this is useless. Um, and then secondly, uh, he does talk about pitch a lot in this, but he also admits that uh, a lot of other people have done more work on pitch than he has. Um, so sort of his section on pitch is a little bit abbreviated to keep it within the, the bounds of the article. But he gives a shout-out and footnotes to Mitchell O'Reiner and Robert Komanyeki, who both have uh, 2019 writings about pitch and hip-hop. And Komanyeki is a worthy follow on Twitter if you're on there. It's true. <laughs> Specifically the, I mean, I'm sure everybody's seen it by now, but the Polyrhythms video that he did a week or two ago was wonderful. I think I, I showed that to a couple people at Groove House. They get a kick out of it. Yeah. Um, so. Also, he did a, what was the, Stacy's Mom, but it's like an eight-part corral. Oh, I haven't seen that one yet. That one's good. That's the one I showed at people at Groove House. I don't know if the, I don't know if they're ready for the polyrhythms one. So, with your troubles with contour analysis before, did you feel better about how he used it? I mean, it was just, it was just like shorter. It was simpler. You know, one of the contours he came up with only had like four pitches in it. Well, yeah, but I guess it's, I guess in my mind, I'm not necessarily thinking that's where the specific, like, it's just these four notes making the arc or something, but I'm thinking more where is the whole line going. I'm drawing with my hand to show you something, but you can't see it, mm -hmm. so. I gotcha. No, like, I understand the point of contour. Just, it, it wasn't it wasn't helpful for what I was working on. So, like, I don't have an issue with contour. Wait, no, not what you were working on. What he <laughs> was talking about. Well, I thought you were asking me if seeing his him do contour makes me feel better about using it in the future or something like that. Is that not what you asked? 
I mean, kind of. That wasn't intentionally what I was asking, but I guess I was curious with your troubles before, did you feel better about how he used it? Yeah, sure. <laughs> anybody, anybody is using contour better than how I was using it. <laughs> well, good. Um, Livy, would it? Did you have any specific thoughts from the contour section, or? Not really. Um, I'd never seen an analysis like that, so it's one that I'll tuck away. It was pretty cool, but I don't know. I can't imagine. I thought that he only used the Cardi B example. Uh, if he used another one, I forgot about it. But it seems like it'd be such a rare one to come across. So uh, there's the Cardi B example. There's the um, 616 Rewind example. Uh, yeah. Um, and then there... Oh, I did want to add that uh, one of the examples he uses was an outtake from the classical samples in rap music episode. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, let me find the right one. I I believe it got cut because I didn't want to say it on, on air, but uh, the song Linguistics by the Cunning Linguists. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, that one, yeah. Used a sample from a Tchaikovsky violin concerto, so I was going to talk about that, but then I felt like the name was a little PG-13. So I think it got cut. I don't think it's in the episode. But it was fun to see that come back. I was like, oh, yeah. Anyway, you mentioned a different song by them from the same album that he talks about. Yeah. And then I just didn't say their name. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, my bad. No, it's all good. I mean, it's a funny name. It's just a fun connection to, you know, that episode three years ago. Which means we clearly need another. Now that Adam has moved past his SMT stuff, now's the time to dig into another rap episode. This is the rap episode. What are you talking about? No, this is the academic episode. <laughs> I know. I'm still working on ideas. We'll see. We just need, like, you know, there to be a secret, like, Kanye and Kendrick collaboration that all of a sudden appears and you just, like, can't get enough of it or something. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... Le- well, I'd be excited for one of those two. What would be the wildest combination of artists as far from that, like, genre, you know, realm I mean, Kenny G was on the last Kanye album. I feel like that's up there. Okay. I mean, yes, but I was specifically thinking, <laughs> like, um, rappers that you would think they're not going to get together and do an album. Um, but at the same time that you would, you would be excited about just the idea of them doing an album together. I mean, yeah, I guess. I guess if that's the question, like... I probably would say Kanye and Kendrick. Oh, well, I feel upset. That I feel I... like Kendrick has the decency to not really engage with that right now. Just <laughs> <laughs> what would make it unlikely. <laughs> They're going to call it the... Bl- I don't know if you guys follow that man on Twitter, but there's some wild stuff going on. Uh, you I mean... tweet today. I have not seen any tweets today. What was it? It was a photo of him writing in his own name. On what? On his president's presidential ballot. Oh, oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah don't, don't, uh, yeah, don't vote I for Kanye. I don't think we're ever going to top... Vote, but don't, don't do that. Th- <laughs> I don't think we're ever going to top him peeing on his own Grammy Award. I mean, you just wash Pretty it iconic. off. You know, he's a father, isn't he? He's washed pee off of things before. 
I don't think that was the message. <laughs> I, if we're being honest, I don't, I don't know what the message was. It just happened, you know. Uh, it was like screw the establishment. It was why he's been on this big kick about like getting his masters back and um, trying to like open up the industry and get more money to younger artists and stuff like that. He tweeted like I think either the day before he peed on the Grammy or the the day of. Like, he posted every page of every contract he has with, like, Universal Music. Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah. So, like, just very anti-establishment. Okay, so, since we're... Which would have been cool if he's not, like, crazy, though. Okay, <laughs> since we're ruling out Kendrick and Kanye, what's the next, <laughs> like... Oh, and I didn't even think about I mean, it, like, but Kendrick and Kanye would be... One letter away from being a really bad album. But anyways, back to this. Uh, I mean, I guess I guess at this point, like, MF Doom and anyone. Like, just come back, man. <laughs> we, we miss you. Okay, so what you're saying is the next, the next episode will be Adam's love affair with MF Doom and why it needs to come back. I mean, we could do that, yeah. I, I could talk about MF Doom for a while. It would be about as self-indulgent as the U2 episode, though, so just heads up. Hey, people love the U2 album. That's true, but that's only because I shared it through Reddit. We could do an MF Doom draft. Those weren't our people. We could do an MF Doom draft, and you would just lose your mind, because Seth and I would just be throwing stuff out willy-nilly. I mean, if we did an MF Doom draft, oh, man, you'd have to be really bad at music to not pick the right album. Oh, see, that's where you're wrong. I guarantee it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, that'd be that'd be fun. We could do that, but you guys actually have to listen to it first. So. I mean, I got nothing but time this week. So, well, I mean, not really, but in the car rides, I could easily knock out a couple albums that you told me. Like, here's going to be our parameters for. But I've been specifically listening to uh, the Mortal Instruments series, which is thoroughly enjoyable but uh they made movies they went bad didn't they yeah i'm not worried about that i wait i get mortal instruments and mortal engines mixed up uh i think they've made movies of both and both are bad Uh, yeah i think that's (laughs) also true that's probably why i'm mixing them up um I mean, look, even the Hunger Games like eventually took a turn for the worse after like PETA I don't I don't know, became evil at the end of part three, part one. But anyways, all of that's to say that there's a lot of teen angst in the books, and so I'm enjoying it, but sometimes, you know, which boy will like me? Like, how will I choose? Sometimes I can take a break I from I feel like you've talked about this before MFD. in the podcast. Yeah, probably. Livy, has he not gotten into like this before? Two weeks ago. Talking about this specific book? I mean, no, but like talking about how the teenage angst of which boy will like uh, me does not connect with him personally. Yes, he has talked about that. <laughs> He's aired this out before. I mean, I mean, I can't judge anybody for repeating myself. I'm about to bring up Aragon again. <laughs> but don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but we have we have addressed this that you don't relate to teenage girls, which I think is good. Yeah. You know, I think it's better than the alternative. I I think it is great, but I was just saying that <laughs> I have I'm sure Sarah appreciates you not being <laughs> relating to teenage girls. Probably, 
Um, I mean, who who really knows? Um, all right. Probably Sarah. No, no, no. I can't talk to her about that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> Yikes. It's okay. She'll... You were fine, and then you made it worse. <laughs> hey, it's fine. She's never going to listen this far into this episode anyways. She'll never know. <laughs> Anything else that we didn't cover about the article that you guys wanted to wrap back around to? Um, it's good. I think people should go read it. Yeah, I think they should, too. Um, it's, a little, it's a little dense, but I think that uh, everybody can make it through it. Um, I did want to uh, give like a future plug. Uh, someone we've mentioned on the podcast before. Oh, where's his sources? Hang on. While he's doing that, if you're looking... Oh, I, I got it. Okay. I got it. Uh, we've, ar- we've read over uh, one of this, this person's articles before, Ben Dwinker. Uh He's uh, cited, and he's in the sources for this the, the Adams article, and he's got one. I haven't read either. Well, one of them hasn't come out yet, and I haven't read the other one yet, so I can't really say if they're good or bad, but I just wanted to mention, because like, he's in universe continuity since we've talked about his work before, is that he has an article from Popular Music called Good Things Come in Threes, Triplet Flow, and Recent Hip-Hop Music that I'm going to try to seek out and read that because I think Ben Dwinker talking about uh, triplet flow would make for a really good article. And then he has a forthcoming one about segmentation, phrasing, and meter in hip-hop, which Kyle Adams talks about a lot in this article. And it seems like they either shared notes or worked together a little bit. Uh, He just kind of previews it. Uh, apparently, Dwinker has a slightly different way of, of figuring out what these phrases are, and so that should come out next year, and I just think it'd be an interesting uh, counter look in, into phrases in hip-hop. No, that sounds really cool. So if anybody's looking how to get to the article, what you can do is go to mtosmt.org. And I'll link it. I'll link it, too. Yeah, but that'll take you to Music Theory Online's main page, and then this was from the previous issue. So you go hit previous issues and you can kind of see articles that are within that issue. But they have a new issue out currently. So if anybody enjoyed listening to us talk about Kyle Adams' article, uh, feel free to hit it, like say you guys should go check out this article and would love to hear your thoughts on that. And we'd be happy to do another article episode. Yeah, basically, there's no shortage of, of articles that we could talk about. We could, you know, read over and analyze and discuss on the show. It's just a matter of, you know, we're trying to keep it light, trying to hit uh, multiple audiences. You know, now we know that not everybody listens to this podcast is as, like, uh, connected to academia as maybe we are. And so we want to keep a, a nice balance. So if you like this, we can do way more of it. And then if, if this doesn't work so good, then we'll only do it occasionally. Yeah, no, that sounds great. Uh Livy, anything that you got to wrap up? Uh, no. Adam? I'm good. <laughs> uh, no, I'm all good as well. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast. We really appreciate it. Uh, if you haven't already, go ahead, join the Discord fan cord. You can find links on our Reddit um, somewhere in one of the old Facebook posts and on Twitter or uh, just like dm us on twitter or facebook and we can always send you a specific link to click and get into the discord uh find us on reddit 
where it's the r slash the theory behind it find us on facebook at the theory behind us or at ttbi pod the theory behind us sorry theory. theory behind it that's what i call my undergrad classes the theory behind us mm-hmm. <laughs> nice Jeez. rough crowd it's not i mean it was better than the joke that i told earlier that only yes, i thought it was <laughs> because i was the only one that understood it anyways we appreciate you guys so much and we will talk to you guys next time bye, bye everybody